and and wait and wait and baby I'm TFC till I die Not so quick on the uptake there. Sorry, oh, boys. Good. No worries, man. No worries. Uh, we were promised fireworks. We were promised big introductions. We kind of got it on Saturday. <laughs> uh, welcome to this week's Toronto Till I Die podcast. Uh, you're with your host, Mike Newell, along with, as always, uh, Jeffrey P. Nesker and Michael Singh. Uh, boys, Saturday, um, I don't know. I personally didn't feel a letdown. But I think a lot of people uh, went to that stadium thinking they were going to see uh, Lorenzo Insigne and then ended up seeing a lot of TJ Marjankowski, um, which I don't think was a part of the original uh, marketing plan for Toronto FC. Uh, it's their but, fault, Mike. They don't listen to us. We could have told them, and it's, yeah, it's their fault. Well, we tried. Oh, we tried. man. Mikey Singh, I did not notice until just now that he's wearing a shirt oh, he's from wearing his favorite. Uh, Oh, my oh, favorite right. fashion house. Yeah, my, my Ovo. Yeah, yeah. Ovo, yeah. Your Ovo. Your Ovo. Amazing. Um, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> well, uh, again, guys, one, uh, welcome. Uh, yeah, welcome to the pod. Um, like, uh, boys, the weekend was uh, was a good one for me. Like, I know it was a draw and it was disappointing, but the vibes in BMO were actually quite good. Um, despite, Immaculate. Uh, yeah, despite uh, no Insigne. We did get a Crescito sighting, though, uh, and he looked pretty good. We'll get into that in the show a bit later. But, boys, how was your weekend? How did uh, how did uh, the weekend play out for you? Busy. Well, Mike, you got you got a comment. You know, people are uh, people are ignoring Mikey Singh's Ovo gear, his, his Ovo drip, and, and commenting on your uh, on your drip today, which is, of course, the coveted Umbro. What is it? The Centennial hundred anniversary yeah, or the yeah. hundred and twenty fifth anniversary? Kit. Got it for twenty five uh, bucks in the beaches. Guy didn't know what he had. Oh my! Why God. does this never happen to me? Why does this <laughs> never happen to me? Oh, actually, I'm 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 not being fair. I did get that my coveted Canada training top TFC training top through this show. So 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 that stuff does happen to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm reminded. It's funny because we keep saying roller coaster, and, and I'm going to regale you with a with a with a Jeff story, which is, you know. I used to be, I, I love roller coasters, but I used to be deathly afraid of them. And the only, the only reason that I'm not afraid of them anymore is that I was going to Canada's Wonderland with a friend and I told him that I loved roller coasters, even though I was scared shitless of them. And he, of course, you know, the first one he wants to go on is the bat. So it's like two hours in a lineup waiting to get on this thing that I, that, you know, I'm quaking in my boots and, and I can't, you know, I can't come clean. So I do it anyway. And, and I ended up liking it. And now I love roller coasters. And so I'm reminded of that, you know, every time we get frustrated with this team, you know, and, and, and sort of give it that roller coaster tag that, you know, sometimes it sucks. And sometimes you're waiting in line for two hours, you know, quaking in your boots. And, and that's kind of the, that's kind of part of the, of the ride. You know, the, some people would say waiting in line and getting all, uh, 
<laughs> they need me on a roller coaster plot. Some I, people would I say, even you know, write that in a in a in a show run better than that. That was <laughs> but, just. But there are love it. There are people that would say part of the experience of riding a coaster is waiting in that line, right? And I think that we can apply that to to TFC fandom. You know, we've been we've been waiting in a rather long line, just sort of watching all these excited faces go by, uh, and some of them have left forever. And I think that brings us to 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 where we want to start today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let, let's talk a little bit, a, a quick recap on the San Jose game this Saturday, uh, this past Saturday. But before I do that, um, just, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, don't worry. Jeff can get back on that trip. He's got a lot of, uh, he's got a lot of kits he can bring out. Um, yeah. But uh, I forgot to tweet out uh, to the TFC live community about three burning questions this week. So that's on me. But if you do have any burning questions that you have for us, Today, we are a live show, and you can comment if you're uh, on YouTube out there. Uh, so go ahead, uh, throw us your burning questions in the comments there, uh, and we'll get them uh, on at the end of the show. Um, but quickly, uh, a tough 2-2 draw against San Jose. Again, we talked about it on the Tunnel Club yesterday, but, I mean, two mistakes cost yep. you... Plain and simple. Th- three points, right? Or at least uh, you, you drop two points because of it um so guys just wanted to get your thoughts on the match you know what you saw uh in the game uh and sort of what you know what do you do you think this is a potential springboard to something or is this kind of a whole bunch of nothing right now yeah i was i was thinking that during the game mike that it was a potential springboard especially when they they come back and then it's it feels a little bit of deflated uh just the way that they conceded that goal i tweeted out after the game that i can't believe tsc gave up that lead and 99 percent of my replies were like you can't <laughs> which i'm like <laughs> raise my hand for that one i set myself up for that one but yeah, i just yeah, yeah. watch it the manner in which that game happened you think about okay there's a couple chances for tfc to get the ball deep in mm-hmm. when it's counting down to injury time they give away some careless some carelessly in the middle of the park pretty bad spaces to lose the ball that's one thing uh-huh. iowa canola had a breakaway he could have iced the game in like the 88th 89th minute yes he could have so your one job at that point is to see the game out then of course you give up a breakaway which quentin westberg does brilliantly to bail you out so after that i'm like okay you know what like let's talk about this later they got the they're getting the job done like, we're going to be good. And then all of a sudden, another one in the span yeah. mm-hmm. of, like, 20, 30 seconds. Yep. That that part, to me, was was deflated. Not necessarily just the result, just the manner in which they, they gave the, away those points. And hopefully those aren't points we're going to be talking about come 16 games later when TFC mm-hmm. are hopefully battling for a playoff spot here. Yeah, I, I feel those two points are going to come back and haunt us. You know, it felt like that game... Uh, was it 2019? It was definitely pre-Panda where uh, we were all on our way out. We were playing Atlanta. We were all on our way out of the ground and then they awarded them a penalty kick and we all had to come uh, yeah, back. That was 2019, uh, yeah. Yeah, like it definitely, it you know, it felt like it, it was a done deal, but there was also purpose to that San Jose attack, right? Like, and we just looked dead on our feet, um, you know, to give away that that one breakaway and then another one so soon after. It speaks to something, right? Like last week we were talking about how this team has a problem with starting games and starting second halves, you know, and they tend to concede on the regular in that in those 15 minute intervals. Well, this is an entirely new wrinkle. They fell apart in the last five minutes, like in, in total garbage. time. 
And you know, my, my question to you is, was it the subs, right? Because we did, we made a lot of substitutions to get, to get guys on the field for those last 10, 15 minutes, which isn't something we do on the regular anymore. Um, it's not, it's not part of, you know, Bob Bradley's regular trucking out. This seemed like he wanted to get Schaff on the field, et cetera, et cetera. And the team just lost all of its shape and fell apart and just were, were so privy to, to those San Jose attacks. So my question is, was that a terrible decision on the part of, of the coaching staff? Look, I think it's, it, uh, we, it's two mistakes, like two mistakes, two individual errors cost you the game, right? Like, it, and we're going to talk about it in the first segment in terms of uh, are the numbers kind of saying one thing compared to our eyes. But I mean, Inafuniachi Achara has an opportunity to clear the ball, put his foot through it and just send it away. Yep. And he tries to play a pass and he gets closed down. And that leads to directly to the goal. And mm-hmm. you're just, you're just, and this is a player who hasn't played a lot this season. I think only like nope. 260 minutes, I think, this year. I'm pretty sure he wasn't wearing his headband either, which was a mistake. Well, you gotta, you gotta, maybe yeah. that doesn't give him his powers. I don't know. But <laughs> exactly, like, exactly. Right? But like, you, you're just thinking, even thinking back to the first goal, right? It's it's Chris Mavinga playing a cross field pass to Jaden Nelson with two players in his own ready Terrible. to pick the ball off. Right? I mean, like it's, what we, it's yeah. these individual sort of just errors that happen in the game that cost us. And, and the it, the numbers and just the results show it. Like, other than that, TFC bossed the game. And it, that's got to be kind of the frustrating part of this is that... It, it is. It is. It absolutely yeah. is. And, and so here's my question to you, boys. Because individual mistakes seem to be, seem to be our kryptonite right now. But we're seeing progression with the Bob Bradley system, would you say? So it's just about you know, getting these, like, they're going to happen, right? But they're, you know, they're exacerbated because they're happening all the time. Um, is this like the last gasp of the team finding its shape? Sort of rewording your earlier question, just in, in Jeff speak? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And I think, look, point out it's the first time they've really played in a natural 4-3-3 formation. Thank you for saying for, like the first two games of of the season. Mm-hmm. I spoke to DeAndre Kerr after the game, and he said, yeah, that's that's a formation they played in a lot of during preseason. And that's clearly what okay. Bob Bradley wants to do. And we'll get into Mark Anthony K a a little bit later, but obviously he's a perfect fit for that type of system, the one that Bob Bradley wants to play there. So, um, yeah, we're I, I'd say we're progressing and moving in the right direction. And that's, the, that's why a game like that stings so much is because mm-hmm. there has been so much positivity that's been building up Obviously, the debut of Crescito, there's a lot of momentum there building up and then just a little bit of that deflation. So hopefully TFC can shake that off and kind of continue to kind of build on what this last stretch has been for them, which in my opinion is is positive and, and moving in sort of the right direction. But it's it hurts. It hurts. It stings. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then that's the hard thing going into the segment. So let's transition a little bit into this first segment sure. about the numbers because it's hard to... Um, and yeah, I actually agree with that comment. I don't think a charge mm-hmm. should have been in in that moment, but fair enough, the decision was made. But I, you know, I, it's hard when you look at the numbers and you're saying like this team is improving and possession has gone up. Um, you know, the amount of chances they're creating is going up. 
the shots they're getting on goal is going up, even though people are complaining about them shooting. It's actually showing that they're actually increasing the amount of shots. Yeah, I'll they're taking shoot per <laughs> shoot. game, right? But they are shooting, right? Like, it, hmm. it, but it, I guess the the thing is, is that people aren't seeing the goals; they're not seeing the tangible result. Because in the end of the day, the stat that matters is how many points do you have at the end of the season, yeah. right? Yeah, how many absolutely. points are in the in the bank? So, I guess my first question to you guys in, in terms of these numbers. You know, and I and I gave you a couple of games, the last sort of three games that we played at home, positive attacking stats. But where are the goals? You know, yeah. um, you know, where are they where do we hope they're coming from? And, and, you know, should these start to now correlate into more goals? Therefore, in theory, what we hope are wins. Um, Jeff, I'll start with you. I mean, this is my problem with advanced statistics, right? is because the answer that I need to properly to properly even approach your question, I don't think exists, which is, you know, what's the percentage of of teams sort of making up the difference, right? And like, you know, in an MLS context, is there even such a such a database that exists, right? Because it, it's starting to feel like, you know, it's starting to feel like a blog to article where you just, you know, you choose your headline, whatever incendiary headline you want, and you go on Twitter for five minutes and you find five tweets that match your argument and Bob's your uncle, you're done, right? It seems that, you know, you can use advanced stats to sort of paint any argument when the real evidence is right in front of your face, right? You're not winning games, you're not scoring goals, but wait, but wait, our XG is, is off the charts. That seems like, you know, the page two sort of losers lament right like of, like we're, we're bottom of the standings but if you look at our expected goals well we you know in a perfect world we should be here and here and here so so while i think there's a validity in advanced statistics i do think it can be a hole in a case like this because like you said so eloquently the proof is in the pudding and it's not there so does it embolden us to sit back and clutch at these pearls like well if you look at expected goals and if you look at our possession stance stats and etc this and that and phase of the moon we're actually doing pretty okay does that distract from the fact that we're not you know what i mean like like what when when do you eventually uh you know call a spade a spade i guess is my question right i i disagree with you jeff um mm-hmm. and first, I, I i welcome it the first 60 70 percent of the year there was maybe one game all year where TFC had more expected goals than their opponent. Can I just say that the old, mm-hmm. prior to the the two wins in the cup and against Atlanta, every win that TFC had, except the Chicago game, I think, we had lost a possession battle by like a lot. Like mm-hmm. we didn't have the ball every win. at all. Right. Yeah, every win, basically, yeah. prior to Chicago. Mm-hmm. The only game prior to that was the Chicago 3-2 win for the international Right. Party. And yeah, on the expected goal standpoint, the only one was DC United, and we had 0.1 more expected goals than they did. And sure, expected goals isn't everything, but it does give you kind of an indication of the quality of chances that TFC were creating versus sure. giving up. And you look at this recent stretch of games. I actually I haven't looked at the Seattle game. I do believe Seattle probably had a better XG than TFC. Yes, but aside from that, um, you think back to Atlanta United, Columbus, obviously San Jose, all of those games, TFC significantly outplayed their opponent. And that's something hmm. we haven't been able to say. Sure, there are times they, they got the result, um, but it wasn't always in the prettiest fashion. For me now, I'm looking at the team and maybe they're not getting the results. Maybe sometimes they are, but I think that the football, overall football is getting a lot better. 
And hmm. I'll also say is that this TFC team that we're talking about today, or we're talking about last week or the week before, it's a completely look diff- going to be completely different looking TFC team once you slot in Insigne, once you slot in Crescito every day, once you slot in Mark Anthony K, Bernadesk, all of those like it's mm-hmm. it's moving on here, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and Jeffrey, if I could just break in just really quickly, I know sure. I talked about this a lot in the Tunnel Club, so I'm not going to go into this into two. I think you might be asking depth. the same question I'm about to ask, but go fair ahead. enough. But like here, here's just something that I've noticed in the sort of looking at these stats because it's something that I I look at quite a bit, and it's sort of the average positions of players on the pitch uh, hmm. when they're playing uh, in games, and obviously it's a little different because. The two games that I gave you guys in the rundown are with Alejandro Pizuelo. And obviously the San Jose game this past weekend has no Alejandro Pizuelo. And the average positions of the players in terms of how they are playing is almost night and day. They were very narrow, very, very narrow in the losses to Columbus and the loss to Seattle um, in terms of their buildup play. Uh, Whereas... In this San Jose game, yes, it ends up being a draw, but there's width to the play. There's there's hmm. a clear connection points between the center backs, Michael Bradley, Jonathan Osorio, um, and specifically towards Domenico Crescito, or Domenico hmm. Crescito, I should say, um, between Mavinga, Oso, uh, and Crescito. So you're already starting to see uh, a more balanced uh, a team in terms of hmm. the way that they're passing amongst each other and the way that their build-up play is is being done. And that actually helps you defensively as well in terms of your coverage in the midfield. And I think that's what we Tell saw me. on Saturday. So, yes, of course, the results suck. They, they suck. Yeah. They, there's no way around that. You can't sugarcoat that in any way. They're still 12. They're on 19 points right now. Uh, and, and right now they're seven points out of a playoff spot. Uh but the play should dictate that as you're starting to get a Lorenzo Signe into the team, as you're getting a, a Bernadeschi into the team, right? Crescito gets comfortable. Mark Anthony K joins this lineup. This should turn into positive points in the actual point totals for TFC. Structure. Okay. Like two things. Oh, go, please continue. No, yeah. Just building off what Mike was saying quickly, just there's structure now within the team where Pozuelo is hmm. not just free roaming wherever he wants and, I mentioned this last week, but that goal against Seattle was a direct result of Pozuelo drifting inside and leaving the right wing completely exposed. You don't have that anymore. Yep. You don't have players yeah. drifting wherever they, they feel like and wherever they want. You actually have, and as you said, Mike, it helps you out defensively because you know where guys are going to be and there's not going to be an overload the other team can simply just take advantage of. So as a young player too, that I'm sure that helps a lot as well. But yeah, go ahead, Jeff. No, absolutely. Absolutely. These are all great points. Um, here comes Axis of Evil once again to, to throw a salve on, on our conversation, which is, and I think this is a really good point. The possession numbers can also come from teams playing defensive against us with early goals, right? That could skew the stats because we're almost, we're almost never, ever, ever leading a game. True. But uh, I, what I will say to that, just mm-hmm. really quickly to Axis, I, I would say that, yes, that is true. But I think the difference between, again, the games with Alejandro Pizuela and the games now, and even even with Alejandro Pizuela, actually, um, is that there are going to be more opportunities now to break those teams that sit in lower blocks against us, uh, mainly because they have to now be a little bit more cautious of the fact that 
Alejandro, Alejandro Pozuela isn't just going to be roaming around anywhere. So therefore you're waiting for that countered switch that Michael was talking about, right? Yeah. Now yeah, they have to fair. worry about Bernadeschi. They're going to have to worry about an Insigne. They're going to have to worry about more progressive passing um, from Mark Anthony Kay and from Jonathan Osorio and from Michael Bradley. So I think although, yes, those possession stats do indicate that teams will sit back and give us the ball, I think the uh, opportunity for us to break down those lower blocks will get better. And the stats are starting to bear that out a little bit more. Okay. Just so for okay. Context. Now, Mike, now my question to you two is this, and, and I think I already know your answer, but we've watched this squad struggle to adopt the Bradley system. Now, obviously Mark Anthony K coming in is like the dream signing because this guy comes in pre-baked. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's been drilled in this system is probably where he's been the most successful in terms of his club career, uh, maybe at USL with uh, you know he was more successful, but certainly in MLS in his in his career with MLS. Are we at all concerned about you know obviously when you're talking about Bernadeschi Bernadescu, uh, as opposed to like DeAndre Kerr? There's, you know, there's a, he's more veteran. He's, he's played for, you know, obviously he's played for different teams, different coaches in different systems, but are you not at all worried that considering that it took the, the kids about six months to learn the system and some of them failed at it, that these guys may not come in ready to go in a four, three, three. When you say system, what are you talking about? Yeah. Cause I don't know if we're talking about Bob's... Bob Bradley's system though. Well, That's, I'm talking yeah. about, I'm talking about his like very strict, Four three three principles. The fact that they're well, we that haven't they're we haven't really seen that this year. We've we've seen the four I, three I agree. Twice. I agree, but I'm just uh, okay. Right. So we're not worried that that these guys are going to come in. Well, I don't like talking that. Handle... Sort of, I like talking that. No, sort of I absolute that Bob Bradley has one system because that's just that's okay. just untrue. Okay. Four okay. three three is his preferred system, but we haven't. Okay, seen I'll start it saying that he's he's moved his team around to accommodate. A player like Pozuelo, he's he's changed his game to Fair. get the best out of the players that he had, Fair. right? So as we move into this the summer, this transfer window, as we're bringing in more players, you're going to start to see more players come in that are players that can probably excel in a four three three formation. That's definitely okay. what's taken into account when you bring in these types of players. And like we've had, I would say this is probably the one window we've really had with Bob Bradley leading the charge. I don't hmm. think the other windows who Bob Bradley was necessarily creating That's his vision. It was more so just taking, getting rid of some players who didn't want to be here. So yeah. now we're starting yeah. to see I, teams I, sort of come together. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So absolutely. here, so here's something that again, digging into the stats a little bit, and then also just confirming with our eyes is just defensively, right? Cause we're talking about the offensive stats. We're talking about attacking play, but clearly defending, is still an issue with this team, right? Um, both from an individual perspective, but also from a team defending perspective. So, you know, just looking at this, like, what is, what's being lost in the messaging here, right? Between hmm. what Bob Riley is trying to instill in the players and what's actually being executed on the pitch. Because what we're seeing uh, is that the turn turnover numbers are still high, right? Um, you know, the, the, obviously we talked about individual errors, um, from players, but what is being missed in the messaging here? Um, because it feels like we're on this podcast and, and doing things like the Tunnel Club and and talking about this on social media. It feels like we're repeating ourselves every single week 
uh, with kind of the same issue. So what is being missed in the messaging? Um, hmm. You know, what are you guys seeing or what are you guys thinking? Quality. Quality of the players that are on the pitch wow. in the first half of the season. You really think it's just quality? I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. I, would I agree. believe that Chris Mavinga hasn't lived up to what he was capable of doing. He hasn't looked like Chris Mavinga for two years now. And that's a mm-hmm. huge that's a huge loss when you're paying him over a million dollars. I think Shane O'Neill's a great center back, fine center back. He's been doing a great job this year. But is he really an everyday starting center back? And then you're also playing this Kosi Thompson on at right back, who this is the first time really he's played a right back in his career. And he's he's a kid that's still learning and growing and that part's tough as well. And then as well, the central midfield hasn't really helped out TFC too much in the way that they wanted to this year. Bradley has been Michael Bradley, as we've talked about, has been has been really good this year. Um, yep. He's also losing a step and maybe isn't able to cover in ways that he's been able to cover in the past. Although, again, he's done a fantastic job. Ozo's been in and out of the lineup. So we've had to slot in DeAndre Kerr and Jaden Nelson, who aren't natural central midfielders in the middle of the yep. park times as well. Ralph Preso, who uh, didn't get too much of a look there as well at times. So... I think for me, it's a lot of it comes down to quality. And I think we saw an example of that is when you insert a Domenico Crescito into the lineup on, on Saturday, how many clear cut opportunities did TFC give up that game? Albeit, let me, they're playing San Jose, but how many clear cut opportunities did TFC actually give up on Saturday? Right. Three. Yeah. I mean, if you take away the Mavinga giveaway, Obviously, the Achara one at the end, it's the one, and that was the breakaway that Quentin Westberg saved. So I think a lot of it does come down to quality, and then you add in Krishito. You add in a Mark Anthony Kay, who I think is going to do so much to help out the team defensively in so many different ways. Then maybe the expectation, the bar is raised a little bit for where this team is defensively, but on paper, I just didn't think the quality was there for this team to to maybe be as good defensively as they need to be. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, it's time to, I think it's time to, to speak some hard truths. Um, you know, like you said, uh, you know, where Mavinga is a shadow of himself. Um, I thought he was, I thought he played decent on Saturday, if not for, you know, the, the giveaway and, and some really, really bad decision-making. Um, I, you know, it, it was clear as a bell, like you put Crescito in that lineup and suddenly there's a lot less defensive fallacies going on. So, I mean, you have to, you have to look at it at face value and, and agree with what Mike's saying almost, almost wholeheartedly, like it, the proof is in the pudding. Um, yeah. I mean, having a, having a proper fullback, <laughs> imagine that <laughs> it makes a difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, yeah. it's funny because I, I I know a lot of people, and even myself included, right, were concerned about Rashid a little bit about his age, right, in terms of what of his what his legs have. He's coming off almost a full season um, in Italy, and then coming into the season looked great, looked fine on Saturday. Yeah. Um, it looked like he saw, slotted in pretty seamlessly onto that left hand side, and I, I think just the his his craft, his guile in terms of being able to know where to be. Um, on certain plays. Yeah. Uh, and I Absolutely. think someone else made this comment in the tunnel club yesterday that I thought was really apt about 
the fact that when either Luca Petrasso or Jacob Schaffelberg were playing on that left-hand side defensively, you know, they would end up um, being sort of high and out of position and being caught on the counter. Now, part of that is aforementioned Alejandro Pizuelo, maybe not being able to cover and yeah. being in the right spots, but also them just not knowing when to start to track back um, Absolutely. in advance and not seeing plays in advance. And I, and I felt like Crescito was able to do that uh, on Saturday and really sort of take away opportunities. Again, like, like you've both said, it was San Jose. So let's see what happens when it's a, maybe a higher level opponent. But, you know, from that perspective, I think that's a big, big help if he can stay fit and be Huge. able to, you know, to, to solidify that part of the field, then it only starts to look a little bit better um, from sort of those additions that we would, that we've already talked about. For sure. How would you grade Kishido's debut, Mikey Singh? He had the best first touch on the pitch yesterday or on Saturday. That's uh that's really, really well put. That's a great point. Um, did you see any worrying signs? I mean, do, is there any behind the scenes info as to why he didn't play the full 90? Uh, I don't know, but behind the scenes, but he'll tell you that the target was 60 minutes for Krishi. Oh, okay. Um, just cause it's, you know, he's coming off a little bit of an off season. And as you guys have alluded to played a lot of miss down the stretch, he actually missed a lot of time this year with a calf injury and yeah. obviously COVID like midway through the season. Yeah. Midway through the beginning calf injuries. Right, it's yeah. the, it's the yeah. TFC way calf injuries yeah. are, are our speciality. Absolutely. Um, so, then, so then you see him go down in, you know, the 70th minute and it's a concern that he, he picked up cramp and, and whatnot, but the quality is there. I mean, his, his set piece deliveries were unbelievable. They were the best set piece deliveries we've seen at a Toronto FC in years. Because um, he put in that cross for DeAndre that when he put it off the crossbar, right? Yeah, yeah every yeah. every corner down the left hand side, yeah. Crescita was taken, and you, typically that's that's one that Luca Petrasso or Pozuelo would take. And I think yeah. Crescito, in terms of set pieces and the quality, is just there. And you, the little flick inside he had to Chris Mavinga, which led to DeAndre Kerr's chance where he broke through and, and shot like that stuff like that. I mean, you you appreciate the quality of, of a player like yeah. that, and I I think. Yeah, we get a real sense of the difference of the level between a Serie A and an MLS by looking at someone like Crescito because I think he's thinking and reading the game a lot quicker than TFC. Some of his progressive passes that he made to penetrate a defense is, I think that's going to do wonders uh, right yeah. now for for this team moving forward. And I'm just, I can't wait to see him and Insigne link up down that left hand side because that's going to be a different level of quality that we haven't seen this year from TFC. So yep. overall, yeah, yep. I had the greatest performance. Uh, I think there's, there still is more to give because I thought he got caught out one or t- once or twice defensively. Um, stepping up a little bit too high, a little bit too aggressively, but overall, I mean, I, he came as advertised and maybe then some, so I would say, let's say B plus a minus for, for his. Nice. Idea. Nice. Yeah, Chris um, talks gives him an eight out of 10. So he's right in line with, yeah, uh, uh, with your uh, review. Yeah. I give it a B plus. Um, you know, obviously I think it's really just a B plus simply because he's just not a hundred percent fit yet and not injury wise fit, just fit fit, right. In terms of matches played and, and, and things like that. So as he gets fitter um, and as he gets uh, his legs under him uh, sort of for this, uh, for the rest of the season here, I think you'll see, I think you're going to just see a, a really, I think you're going to see a motivated Krishito, funny enough. I think I think he's 
I mean, he might have heard some of the stuff we've been talking about in terms of his age. Can he, can he actually pack it right from from that perspective? Sure, uh, the sure. skill is the skill. Is, I don't think has been questioned. Um, but uh, you know, from that perspective, I think yeah, a B plus, a solid B plus. And right now, honestly, you take B pluses. B pluses probably get you some more points and get you closer to a playoff line. Um, than Absolutely. Anything. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I would give him a B plus as well. I was a little concerned about the sub, but I had a I had a sneaking suspicion that, like Mike said, he was never expected to go the full ninety. So so that 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 makes me a little bit happier. But you know, you never like to see uh, a, a left back come out before before the final whistle. So as absolutely. long as as long as it wasn't an injury concern, then I'm then I'm then I'm a pig and shit here. So yeah, absolutely. So um, just moving along here, just in terms of um, we're talking about these new additions coming in and how they're going to affect uh, the first team going forward, but you know, one of the things that I kind of got questions about from a three burning questions perspective um, that I didn't really bring up um, in previous, but they kind of amalgamated them into the segment is really just, is the youth movement kind of done at TFC, um, you know, going forward? And I asked this question more from a, obviously Ralph Preso being traded out um, is, is sort of the most glaring example, but I think a lot of people have been really kind of hoping that Toronto FC would give young players a chance and bring them into the lineup. I don't think they foresaw that it would be this many all at once. Um, but, you know, given that these moves are being made now and more senior players are starting to come in, not just for this season, but maybe even going forward in terms of mm-hmm. how this team views itself um, in terms of roster build, is the youth movement kind of maybe not dead is the right word, but is it, is it kind of, is it going to be muted going forward uh, for TFC? Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Depends what you define the youth movement as. Like, are they going to, are you going to see five, six, 22 and under players in the 11 anymore? Probably not unless you're Mm -hmm. in a cup match or rotating your squad, but you are going to see players get now get opportunities in a way that we haven't in previous years, not necessarily at the start of this year, because I think that was an anomaly. And just based on the way the club was building, it would just made sense that young players would fill that void for now. Yes. But I think in an ideal world, you have a, you have a pretty v- veteran, maybe squad with a, maybe a, a couple of youngsters sprinkled in. Um, but I don't think there's going to be many under 20 starters for toronto fc moving forward yeah i you know i said it last week i uh and i think we had made sort of a general consensus that the goal of the youth movement was uh it was multifaceted right you know they cleared a lot of house these kids have been waiting in the wings to come up for a bunch of seasons it just made sense to see what you got and and you know we had said that they'll probably get the season but i think we can take that back I think Bob's seen what he needs to see, fair or not, because um, life is is rarely fair and, and nothing exists in a vacuum. And, you know, they could rage about, well, I could have performed better had I been trotted out with, with less kids on the pitch, et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum. But I think decisions have been made. Um, you know, the, the Prezo deal is 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 that in, in sharp relief. I think decisions have been made moving forward about who's who's going to make the cut. Um, and it only makes sense. I mean, you know, as, as Mike Singh will, will tell you, these guys come at a humongous discount in a, in a cap league. 
you know, as many homegrown contracts and academy players you can get away with, it really helps your bottom line. So these we, we needed to find answers and it, it feels like we did for better or worse. So is it over? I mean, if you want to talk in generalities, yeah, yeah, I think it is for this crop of youth players. And now we figure out, and now we've made decisions about where they go, what they're capable of, who they can platoon for, who they can sub for, you know, if Bob even wants them around, are they trade bait? And, and I, I do, I honestly do think that those decisions have been made moving forward. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, I, I hope it's not over in a sense that we're just, we're going to go back to what we had prior to let's say 2020 where, you know, you may get like one young player may get, you know, 120 minutes in a season. Like, I hope we don't go back to that. You know, I, I understand the the idea of, look, this is going to be Toronto FC and Toronto FC are always going to spend big on DPs and they're always going to be looking to bring in the best available talent out there on the squad. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't want to see a situation where, we no longer trust in players from the academy uh, to hmm. play roles on the squad, whether it be, again, starting roles, roles off the bench, uh, you know, from that perspective. And look, if, if at the end of the day you play those players and then you determine that they're better off being an asset for you in a trade or being sold to get some money back to then move for X senior player, that's fine because a lot of clubs use their academy in that fashion. Most do. Um, most, most do. Most do. Right. And if, if Toronto FC see themselves as, which I think they do, as a big club within MLS, then I still want them to go down to the academy and bring players up and give them minutes and showcase them. And look, if they become stars for you, awesome. If they become MLS lifers who are role players in your squad, awesome as well. Right. Yeah. That's that's perfect. If they end up being a player that you can use to go get a center back that you desperately need uh, because that's what, you know, a rail salt Lake wants. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but like, sure, you know, sure. you know what I mean? Then yes, absolutely. That that's the way you're doing. It. And I think that's how you could still have a youth movement and not necessarily have six, seven kids all at once playing uh, for TFC and still be uh, useful for the club. It's like what Ravi says. Uh, and I'll bring up the quote. There is a delusion that all of our academy kids are destined for European glory. And this sort of factors into my rebuttal of what you just said. We haven't figured out the calculus yet, right? Like we, you know, there was the not playing kids or playing them, you know, only in garbage games. Then there was this six months. Let's, you know, just throw them out there and see what we've got because, you know, the time is right. And, and, and we're, we're in it, we're in a lull and, and this might as well be a stopgap thing. We can't. That system works as long as you you're brutal and you have a a like a properly regimented streamlined sort of checklist. I know I say the word checklist a lot. Like, did you meet this performance incentive? Did you meet that performance incentive? No, cool. On to the next. I think the issue with TFC is that because it's so inconsistent how we play the kids is that the book's not never written about them. So there's always a dissenting opinion. Oh, well, you know, you haven't given Jaden Nelson enough time. Oh no, if Noble Okello just figures out his feet, right? As long as we're brutal, I think that's fine. But, you know, I was watching, I was watching a documentary on, on YouTube about Victor Vasquez and, and the career that he had, right? And it opened with La Masia and it threw out stats of, you know, the amount, like how hard it is to get into La Masia, one. 
and then how hard it is to break into the Barcelona first team too. And like the, the percentages are, are, are bracing with respect to like kids that, you know, like are super competitive, get into La Masia, but then don't ever have a sniff of the first team. Right. And are kind of left to their own devices. So where is this, you know, TFC is not Uber, right? To be Uber, you know, to be a disruptor, Oh, TFC is not in that disruptor on this. But TFC is not in that position, right? Like they're not going to reinvent how academy systems work, right? So we've bet like in, at, at least you're not going to re you're not going to break the rules until you know the world's the rules cold. And we've been unfair to that process. We've used our academy in really strange ways, and we've never really we've never really embraced any kind of business model for it, right? So of course there's like this this weird kind of limb uh, miasma with, with 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 how we play the kids and and, and why we play the kids. But I, you know, I take some comfort in, for better or worse, I do think that this experiment is over, at least with this crop of kids. And I do think that Bob and his staff have made decisions. They may not be popular ones and they may not be well-liked decisions. Certainly the, the Ralph, the Wreck-It Ralph trade speaks to that. But this is what I wanted. I wanted somebody at that club to have a, an opinion, somebody in a position of power to have an opinion that wasn't wait and see. And now I think we're at that point. Okay, so, so what did we learn then in these last six months with these with, with all the young players playing? Like, a lot of them are, aren't good enough. A lot of them aren't good enough. Are we sure about that? Are I don't sure, care are anymore. Sure about that? Somebody somewhere somewhere has an opinion that has some weight because you can never be sure of anything. Am I going to walk outside and get hit by a car? Is my house going to fall on my head? Who knows? As sure as we can be, and that may be unfair, and it may be knee jerk, and it may not it may not be truth to their skill set, but. I do think for this crop of kids, decisions have been made. And that fills me with a certain confidence because we've, been, we've been waiting for this hammer to come. Because, because you can't why do you keep think dancing. decisions have been made? Because Ralph's on his way out. And Ralph was like one of our so top prospects. That's, that's a one-off though. And I think that's, to, to build off that, that's kind of the way you have to look at each player. It's not like we can mm-hmm. say in absolute that the kids are not good enough. You look at DeAndre no, Kerr. No, nothing in DeAndre Kerr, I like absolutely. this about your game, and, and this is what I see in you going forward. You can be a good – you could be a quality player who potentially goes on to Europe, potentially, right? And you look okay. at Ralph Priestle's game, for example. Okay, Ralph's a good young player, but maybe he wasn't – He had he's had a really rough year, and yeah. you could see the qualities that you like out of him. But okay, maybe we can flip him for a Mark Anthony K because that's what Colorado wants. Not yes. necessarily because he's not good enough to be a, a pro here at Toronto, but rather that's just the way the business is of it. And again, like you can go down the line and look at each player and assess it like that. And sure, mm-hmm. maybe some some decisions have been made. Maybe someone like a Caden Chung, who we haven't seen play for Toronto FC in weeks, maybe yeah, a decision has been made there being like, okay, you're not quite at the level I was hoping that you were at when you, you first started off this year. So like little things like that, I can say, but in sure. terms of writing off all the kids, I don't think we're anywhere close to that. Right. And, and yeah, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. no, I, I mean, this is, this is probably a, a fault in, in, in how I'm structuring my language because I, I agree with you, but how long can you keep dancing around the maypole is, is my counter, right? Like eventually a decision has to be made about where they fit in this squad or if they fit in this squad. And well, that, I think- that can allow for, you know, you're talented, but it's just not working right now, which is essentially what we're saying about, about the Ralph Preso move, right? There's um, only a certain amount of spaces 
and there's only a certain amount of starters and there's only a certain amount of responsibilities. So to me, you know, ha- having less this having less worry is a good thing. It, it, I'd also spin it that it's it's a good thing that they're young and you can give them time to develop into the players you're hoping they, they could be. They're young. They they mm-hmm. they can come along in two years, three years. Like if, to say every nineteen year old coming through this club has to be a starter at this point in their career. I it's insanity. Absurd. It's insanity. Oh, it's absurd. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think the way that the way that you measure a kid isn't necessarily throwing them to the fire. Can you can you swim? It's more so what qualities do you like in that kid? Can you develop? Do you understand the game? Are you willing to learn? There's so many different things that go into a young kid and where they where they develop. And as people have said with with Ralph Briso, sometimes it's not bad for a kid not to get out of here in Toronto. That doesn't mean they're not going to be a player. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. so and so is writing them off saying they'll never be a player. It's just yeah. Sometimes a kid does need that change of scenery to get the best out of them. And of also course. Mark sometimes Anthony Kay is a perfect example. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Like Mark Anthony K, the man he was today. traded for is a perfect example, right? He was yep. here in Toronto. He probably needs to get out of Toronto and get out of his comfort zone. Ends up in Louisville. Right. Uh, and then finds a ride to LAFC. Like I think the three of us could safely say when we saw Mark Anthony K's name on the LAFC sort of expansion roster. We're like double taking like, really? Um, And yet he becomes an all-star because he finds the right coach at the right time to help him develop, to get to where he is. And now he comes back to us a more complete player. And I think that's, and and that goes into sort of my last question in the segment was just in terms of a way forward for youth players at a club where bigger names and experienced players are valued right? More than maybe playing the young player. Like what is that way forward? Not even for this, just this generation of young players, but for the neck, like the U16, the U17s that are currently in the TFC Academy thinking, Hey, look, all those Kosey Thompson, all those guys, they're getting their chance. When do I get mine? Right? What is the way forward for them? Is it to stay and stick it out and see if you get a shot? Or maybe it's like doing something like you know, and Isaiah Johnston or, you know, Mm. other players that have made the trip to CPL and said, Hey, I'll start my career here and see where I can get from, from there. So what do you think that's that's a way forward for that's a major conundrum. Let me just interject that, that, you know, one of the best interviews I ever saw with Mac was when he was really honest about how much he had to grow as a person and, and how he wasn't really prepared to be a footballer, his first stint at TFC and getting dropped and then ending up in USL and working his way back up to, to even being a consideration for LAFC was one of the most important moments in his life with respect to his whole safety net was gone. Nobody was coddling him. He had to grow up really, really fast and he had to do it all by himself. Um, you know, as someone who's experienced some of that in their own life, I can attest that, you know, sometimes it is the big shakeups that where, where you grow the most. So, you know, and this is not like a goodbye, Ralph, you know, you're going to do well at, at, Columbia, at Colorado because you needed that, that swift kick in the ass. But, you know, when you talk about in generalities about, about the TFC youth Academy, I do see two years of this sort of, will they or won't they, you know, you, you're like, you're going to Europe, you're going to train at Liverpool and then you're, you're back here playing for TFC two at best, two, you know, uh, 200 minutes a season kind of thing. 
is not the way, right? Like it does need to be a bit more streamlined. And, and, and like Ravi said, you know, with this, with this delusion that every, every Academy kid is, you know, going to go play for the first team in Manchester United. I think that there is a lack of a center with respect to how the, the Academy operates, what the expectations are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, because we're not going to do this again, right? We're not going to have another six months, you know, re-up, at least in the next little while, where where it's like, well, let's just wait for, you know, the, the replacements to come and you're all going to get starting minutes, you know, the, uh, over a thousand starting minutes. That's not happening. That's not how we want to run our club. So where do they fit moving forward, right? Because we don't, we won't have this grace period by which to assign roles and figure out, you know, who's what and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the big question. You know, how are we running our academy? I would say it's never that linear as, as you're making yeah, it out to be. Sure, right? sure. It just depends on what kid's coming through and how ready that kid is. It, it's, it comes down to literally each and every player, um, in my opinion. It's never a general conversation about the academy. And as you're, as sure. you're mentioning, Jeff, yeah, times are going to be changing. So this next period that's coming up here, 2023, is going to be very interesting to see how they – decide to use their academy, how they decide to use their second team. Mm -hmm. Going all the way down to their U17 teams and their U15 teams, how they decide to use those. So, yeah, to to answer, going circling back to Mike's question, what's going to be the best option for the next Jaquil Marshall-Ruddy who's coming through TFC or the next Jaden Nelson who's coming through TFC? Absolutely. I don't know. I I don't know what's going to be next for them because I don't know what this club is going to look like. Yep. in the next year or two and what opportunities are going to be in front of the next Jaden Nelson and Jaquil Marcioretti, right? Can I, can I tell you what I think is, I, I think minutes are going to be hard to come by because I think this club is gearing up. It's it th- This season feels like, and I've said this multiple times, it feels like the 2015 season, right? It feels mm-hmm. like the, the ebb before the big flow of signings that are just going to come in to try to get us back to a championship. And I don't know if there's enough space on the boat for all the young kids, right? right. And, and and some of those young kids may end up, again, being used as bait to get MLS experienced players in this league, yep. which, again, is not necessarily a bad thing, I don't it's think, not. right? Because a lot of those players will always, and I find it more with TFC Academy products, they're always attached to this club in some yep. way, yep. right? Yep. When you talk to former players i've talked to like you know to to daniel henry i've talked to ashton morgan you talk to all these players that have been through this club at that level like a jordan hamilton they're always watching this club they're always connected to it in some way um and it doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to always come back and play for the club but they this club stays in their heart in some way um and that's that's fantastic right and that means Mm -hmm. they could come back at some point they might do a pog back right as <laughs> he has now done twice um so from that perspective that window is always there open to them and frankly if a cpl roots better for them to get minutes and get playing and get to a u20 team and go to a, well they're not going to the u20 world cup they, they couldn't be Haiti, but no. like you know uh, you know but you know to get to that to get to that level to then get your name out there do it right and 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 let tfc continue to bring in senior players and then one day you might be that senior player that they want to bring back. Yeah. This last thing, last thing on this topic is, is we always talk about how Ontario, Toronto, GTA is such a, a pool hotbed, for Canadian yeah. talent, hotbed mm-hmm. for Canadian talent. 
of course you're gonna have to let go of some you don't have room for every single up-and-coming gta yep. youngster that's going to be coming through the ranks so there's always going to be that narrative that goes around whenever a player doesn't sign for toronto fc but in the, the day like it's it's a difficult decision that these guys are going to have to make it to select which select few are going to be the ones that are going to be lucky enough fortunate enough to break through to the first team first and there's going to be some that are going to have to maybe they take the long way back home if they ever come home at all so yeah, yeah, it's just that's yeah. just a natural progression of I think any any soccer club in a big market like Toronto. I okay. think you're right. I perfect, think you're right. Perfect. And and uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, with that, it's enough kid talk uh, for for today's pod. Um, we'll we'll open up the Michael Singh notebook um, and and delve into that, uh, Mike. Just before you came onto the pod, I think you were at a little impromptu press conference for Mark Anthony K. Um, and his arrival to Toronto FC. We saw the lovely pictures um, of him arriving at uh, Pearson yesterday. Hopefully he didn't get his luggage lost. We'll have to stay <laughs> in long security lines. Uh, hopefully they got the MLSE express pass. I don't know if they've got that, but they should have got that. Um, yeah, they have. Any takeaways from the presser, um, uh, Mike, that you want to share with the listeners? Um, I think just based on what we were just talking about, I, one of the questions I asked him is, so I, funny story is I actually grew up playing against Mark Anthony K. Uh, we, we played against each other a bunch of times. And I have a pretty good idea of where TFC were when I was growing up, which is, I'm the same age, actually, as Mark Anthony K. So I asked him, I'm like, when, we, when, you know, when you were growing up here, what was Toronto FC like in comparison to what it is now? And Great question. It's, it's a different it's a different breed, essentially. What what he's like the, the first thing he pointed out to was how much more opportunity young kids are getting um, <laughs> now as opposed well, to that where just it was. the last segment. Great, yeah, 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 it was back then, which is bang on because yeah, yeah I think a, there's been a lot of kids who have come through the ranks who have, have moved on. For you look at Canadian Premier League and a lot of the kids who are successful now and even not all kids had anymore, cups of coffee. Yeah, yeah, they all TFC, had. Yeah something to do with not all but a majority of them had something to do with tfc mm-hmm. so sometimes yeah that's circling back to our old conversation that that happens um in terms of, of of his presser overall i mean you guys have all seen mark anthony k speak and you all know the type of person that he is and i, I just need to echo that once again is that he not only is he going to bring quality on the pitch he's going to bring so much to this this locker room and so much yep. to the overall dynamic of what toronto fc is um he, he he spoke about if he was ever going to come back to a canadian club it was always going to be toronto fc amazing of course and you talk about the connections that you know some players who leave um still have to tfc he's one of those guys right yeah. who always finished business followed, yep. followed tfc um with all of that and Another thing I'll add is that I don't think he really expected to to come back this at this mm. point in his career. He didn't actually. He did not expect to come back this quickly uh, to Toronto, but it happens, and it's just in line for the 2022 World Cup, which Canada obviously first qualified for, and since what 1986, and then obviously 2026 in Toronto. So it's just a perfect timing in that regard for him to come back to uh, 
come back home let's let's say so uh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Ex- exciting exciting that part's exciting uh what wasn't so exciting was learning that he picked up a little bit of a some hamstring tightness glute tightness whatever you want to call it um mm-hmm. he, he chalk it up to sort of just wear and tear over the course of a season uh just to give anyone an update on that is that he's going to try and run tomorrow and, and see where he is ahead of wednesday's match i would say if and it is an if he does feature in Wednesday. I would say it'd probably be a short stint off the bench just to play it safe. And then mm-hmm. maybe with an eye towards the weekend against Montreal's, maybe when we see him make his full TFC debut. But we'll see kind of how that plays out and unfolds. I think there's a lot of moving parts to that. And again, hamstrings, mm-hmm. glutes, as you guys know, with this club, you always want to to play it safe there. So that part, yeah, that part was, was really cool getting to talk to him and know him. And you could see the excitement on his face that he had to, to come back to Toronto, especially at this time. Uh, and and it must be said, especially to reunite with, with Bob Bradley, who managed him, like I said, during possibly the best spell, the best performances of his career, certainly, certainly in Major League Soccer. And considering the difficulty uh, adhering to Bob's preferred system, I mean, this guy's plug and play. He's as plug and play as, as you could possibly yeah. get, um, which I think we, we can't understate, you know, we've been struggling in our midfield and we've just brought in a guy that knows the preferred system cold and excels in it. And, and that really is, is unbelievably wonderful. Um, you know, I, it's almost, it's almost preferable to junior Hoylet who, who we bandied about quite a bit. And I was whooping and hollering. I mean, I didn't even think Mac was a possibility. So when, when the rumor came out about this and then it eventually crossed the line, it's backflip time, man. It's, it's dreamland. This is, this is great. This is great. Uh, yeah, I do yeah. think I'll, you need I'll to mention add, it. Jeff, you're, yeah, it only came about in in recent weeks. Something that Bob Riley briefly touched on, and then he said some speculation actually got in the way of of the deal, um, so made it a little bit more difficult for the team to complete it. I'm not sure mm-hmm. what that means or what that how it affected it, but apparently okay. it made it more difficult, which is uh, probably why you didn't hear too much about it because the team was definitely trying to keep a lid on sort of of all of it so a deal that transpired fairly quickly and when when mark anthony k becomes available at this time of his career with everything happening in canadian soccer i think yeah you, mm-hmm. you gotta pull yeah, the trigger jump. you gotta make it yeah it's a, no, it's a no-brainer now now yvonne is asking something uh mike saying please correct me if i'm wrong did mac sign a four-year contract with colorado this season uh prior to the season prior to the season he signed a, a an extension uh, through 2025 with a team option for 2026. So yeah, I think perfectly I read that in line, yeah. perfectly in line with TFC and their sort of vision here. And on that note, he's going to be a key pars- part of the midfield for the next four years through the 2026 World Cup, which Ring perfectly it. is in line with Ring it. Phil Manning's yeah. five-year plan that he has sketched out. And Mark Anthony K is going to be a significant part of that plan for the foreseeable future. Well, well, that's why amazing. it's such a big addition yeah hey, I, 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 it's funny um i was talking to people on saturday and, and a lot of people that were more Canadian soccer people were more excited about mark anthony k than they were about the prospect of lorenzo insigne just simply because of the implications to the midfield um that he would be not to say that they're not excited about insigne of course they are but just in the sense of it's a canadian midfielder connecting with jonathan osorio who he knows really well connected with Michael Bradley, who he's going to connect with really well in terms of the way and style at which they play. 
Um, that was, I think, a really exciting for a lot of people to know that that was going to be essentially your midfield core uh, going forward for the rest of the season and into next yeah. season as well. I mean, you you just you just up the horsepower of your engine by like another two hundred, right? Like you you're using premium fuel and you turbocharged it, right? So, uh, I mean, what's what's not to like? Absolutely. And and again, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of what ifs with Insignia, and and certainly there's a lot of what ifs with Mac. But this is as much of a plug and play option as was available to this club anywhere in the world. I'd say like the player and the coach are, are perfectly familiar with each other. You know, his, the, the, the other eight that we're presumably going to be playing with, he plays with on the regular and the Canadian men's national team. Uh, it, it's, it checks out a lot. It checks a lot I, of boxes. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me I guess stop you there. How long do you think we're going to see Jonathan Azoria and Mark Anthony K play together for Toronto FC? Are you trying to are you trying to start something or what? Like Jonathan Azoria is out of contract at the end of this no, year. No, that's true. That's true. Fair. Um, look, the way I mean, that I, like, the way right. that I look at it, could he? I'm. I, listen, this is just speculation. I haven't. I, I've written everything I've written about Jonathan Azoria about him mm-hmm. wanting to keep his options open for as long as he can. I gotta wonder. Is this sort of a potential long-term replacement for Jonathan Osorio at a more cost-controlled price, and you still get a lot of the same wow commercial mm. aspects to it, whereas okay. he is commercial. the homegrown yeah. Toronto FC player with the World Cup coming around? Makes, Could he be the new? Sense. Uh, centerpiece of that push. I, yeah, from the commercial perspective, I see the yeah. the connection there. From from a on pitch perspective, I kind of see it, but I also think you lose a bit of that offensive uh, creativity and capability. I mean, look, he scored a fantastic sure. chip goal on Saturday, right? Um, not to say that Mark Anthony does yeah. not have that ability. He could potentially do. He potentially does. Sure, different types of midfielders. Yeah, different, different types type, of midfielders. Yeah, fair. The one thing I'll, I'll add to, I guess give you guys a better idea of my line of thinking. Jonathan Nazar is about to get paid with every goal that Mm -hmm. he scores. His asking price is going to increase and increase and increase. This, this is a team that's not going to have that much salary cap to play with. And Jonathan Osorio at 30 years old, you got to imagine this is going to be his last big contract. Fair. There's, this is a guy I'm assuming what he's made maybe three million, if that, in his entire career, perhaps mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more. I'm assuming he's going to want to set himself up and his family up moving forward again. I'm not speaking yeah. for him because I, I don't know if that's what's right. motivating him at all. Yeah, but sure. you have to imagine maybe there is some forward thinking there by TFC and maybe Osorio, the way he's playing, might be pricing themselves out. All right, so I'm going to throw this out here, and uh, I'm going to immediately duck for when the bricks and tomatoes get thrown at me for saying <laughs> it. But with Carlos Salcedo on the way out, seemingly, is TFC consider using that DP spot on Jonathan Osorio and making him a, essentially a homegrown designated player like some clubs in the league have done with other players? Would you? Okay, so here's my line of thinking on it. And it's going to be an unpopular opinion. I would say there is a case to do it. I understand the age of the player. So I understand that one. 
I understand that with Toronto FC and the type of international players that they could potentially draw in, it's potentially a detriment to give him a designated player contract from that perspective. But if you look at it from a known quantity perspective in terms of on the pitch, I mean, he's been your best player. Let's, let's be real here. He has yep. been your best player. Maybe outside of, and I know a lot of people are going to say Michael Bradley, blah, 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 but the stats say he's actually been probably your best midfielder in terms of ball wins and things like that. But sure, realistically, Jonathan Osorio has been your best player for going on almost two years now. Absolutely. So that that's one. Pretty consistent in terms of his availability. I know he's had some injury issues this year, but pretty consistently available for you as a player. And yep. from that commercial perspective, he is probably, aside from Michael Bradley and now Lorenzo Insigne, your best known local product on the team. Mm-hmm. From, so from that perspective, is he worth a designated player contract? I would say there are a lot of players in this league that are on designated player contracts that aren't anywhere that close aren't to worth it. The, the Absolutely. worth both commercially and on the pitch that Jonathan Osorio is. So I would say, yes. Would it be a lower end of a DP contract? Probably. But we kind of had this discussion with Dwayne De Rosario back in the day, and we didn't want to give him that money. And then he came back and he burned us like crazy. So let's mm-hmm. just, that's, that's where I'm coming from, from my sort of thought process. I know a lot of people are not going to agree with me and I'm ready <laughs> to get, I'm ready to catch that smoke on uh, online, but that's how I'm thinking. And I'll throw it out there. Then you guys can tear me to shreds if you want. Jeff, do you want to? I mean, I'll start. Would I? Here, here's, here's my calculus. My calculus is this. You celebrate somebody like Bob Bradley taking the, the discount so that we can sign another DP to go on a TAM contract. That door has to swing both ways, right? Your team can't just be taking, taking, taking. It also has to give back sometimes. And that might be what we call the Oso conundrum. Does he deserve a big payout, a bigger payout from the team? Absolutely. His arc points in that direction. Does it, does it again, illuminate how kooky the DP rule is and how, and how it kneecaps teams, especially in situations like this? Absolutely. If this was any other team without a DP tag, it would just simply be more of the, more of the budget going to a player that earns it. But because he's now at the cusp of the, of the DP tag, there's an entirely different group of, of stupid principles that are applied to this. So for those two reasons, I would say yes, because the club has to, you know, it can't just be taking, you know, thank you for your service, Bradley. We really appreciate you, you know, going to TAM, but no, oh, so no, 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 no. We're not going to do it in the other direction. And I think for that reason alone, it's worth considering. Because he's already on essentially like high TAM money, isn't he? He's on like a high TAM deal. I think he's over a million. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so like in another league, you know, where, where there isn't that cutoff, that line of demarcation where suddenly you've got different expectations. Is he playing like a DP for our club? I would say also yes. Also yes. I mean he's he's the star he's the straw that stirs the drink. And then I would agree with you, Mike, the bird with the bird in hand uh is worth two in the bush idiom, right? DPs often don't work out. Getting rid of Oso for, you know, some, you know, some Pablo Piatti, uh, Bernadescu, whatever the case may be. 
is probably short-sighted, you know? And, and of all the players that, uh, you know, again, it could be, does Jonathan Osorio want to come back? Is it about money? Or is it about the fact that he's going to be 30 years old and he wants to test himself somewhere else? You know, in, in which case it doesn't matter what we say. All right, I'm ready but, for Mike to come you, after me now. So. Yeah. You guys are so wrong. You guys are so Okay, wrong. go, Mike. Here right. we go, Mike. Okay. All right. Would you rather Bernadeschi at 28 years old coming over or would you rather a Jonathan Osorio at 30, 31 years old committing the next couple of years to this club? It depends on the player. It really depends on who you're bringing in. Like, and, and, okay, so Bernadeschi's coming and it's not going to affect that, right? I'm talking about the. I'm just saying, like, for an example, that that's the quality of players that they're they're going after. From sure. Both uh, on field standpoint and also the commercial standpoint. So but isn't from, that doing from, oh so dirty, really though? You, listen, if, if we. Yeah, yeah, you saw what Crescito's doing out there at 35 years old, Mike? Mm-hmm. No, not yeah. from a playing a commercial perspective, not a playing perspective. I think he he does do a pretty okay. significant yeah. amount just based on the buzz that there is okay. around. Like if you sure. sign Osorio to a contract, what's the buzz versus bringing in a new player like a Bernadette? No, a, bun- a bunch of us are happy and, and 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 warm inside, but but you're right, it doesn't move the needle. My issue is is doesn't that doesn't that do Oso a bit of doesn't Listen, that do him a bit dirty? It's it's a cutthroat world. TFC I, has been agreed, cutthroat agreed. this season. I love Jonathan Osorio as a player. He's a fantastic human being. He means so much to this club. If he's asking for DP money, I don't think you can do it based on the fact that you're giving up. It's not just a you're giving up a DP spot, which may be a player like Bernadeschi, which may be a player like, hey, let's say maybe they decide to go crazy, get an Insigne again. One of those types of players. The way the needle is moving right now in Major League Soccer, where you're seeing a, the Gareth Bales come in, and you're seeing other like each not a DP here. Well, well, for now, sort of a half DP each, each right? year. Each year, as as we move on, we see rumors of Luis Suarez coming in. Each year, as we progress, the level for a DP in Major League Soccer is getting higher and higher and higher. Agreed. And I would be concerned about giving Oso, let's say, a three-year DP contract. Not necessarily for this season, because as Jeff, you alluded to, he's probably playing around a DP level. I would still mm-hmm. argue I think a DP should have higher standards, although Ozora has been absolutely fantastic. But what about what does that deal look like in 2024 when the mm-hmm. players who are on the market and the way the league's moving, instead of bringing in the, one of those players, you've, you've instead... Put a DP spot. I, I, on, on I get what you're Korea. saying. I would. Ca- I no, would I, I, I by saying I, that the Insigne deal could look like that in two to three years, right? Like he's coming in. It at could. But think could. about where yeah. Insigne is now compared to Jonathan Osorio. Right, but you could also see a significant. And that, I'm not saying you will. Yeah. I'm not saying you will, but you could see a significant drop off. In those I think years. you I'm, guys are really yeah. underrating Syria and Italian. No, 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 not at all, not at all. I understand the skill. Do not get me wrong. I am not questioning that Insigne is probably going to end up being the best player in the league by the time he starts playing. Like, that, that is not what I'm saying. I'm knocking on wood for all of our benefit. But yeah. <laughs> That's fair. But what I'm saying is that the same risk apply to players if you're going to give them that kind of contract, right? You could see that level drop off. And it could drop off quickly. And it may just be as simple as, look, age catches up to everybody at a certain time, right? 
Um, and, and, and at that point, if, if that's the concern, the same risk applies to an Asinia than it does to a, an Osorio. Krishito's you know why, you know why I hate this? So Krishito's so 35 years old. He's not a superstar by any means in Syria. Wasn't a star with the national team. Was a fringe national team player. Spent most of his, his career with a lower tier Syria team. Had a good run in, in Russia. He's as good, I would argue, if not slightly less important to the team than a Jonathan Osorio. Think about where Lorenzo Insigne will be, even if he drops off a little bit. So that's the drop-off I'm talking about when, when I talk about a DP. Okay. Like, that's the okay. difference in sort of quality of DPs that I'm sort of alluding to, right? This is This is why I hate it. Because you always hear people say, okay, the secret sauce to winning MLS Cups is a team of, you know, elite players sprinkled with MLS veterans, right? That's the secret sauce. Like you ask, you know, every coach, every executive, the, the, the overwhelming majority are going to give you some kind of riff on that, right? But there's a ceiling for MLS experience, you know? Oso is now representing that glass ceiling that you can't shoot through. And, you know, as much as I'm excited for Bernadeschi, Bernadeschi, when you look at his stats with Juve, you know, he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire. So, like, the general consensus is, is that MLS is so bad that this guy who's who's not really lighting the world on fire at Juve, and they, you know, they weren't too upset to see him go, is going to come here and just light, light it up. Right, which is the bird in the hand, two in the bush idiom, writ large. Um, you know how if you what is the advantage other than simply not being able to do it anywhere else to a career in MLS that starts in MLS now when you can see the glass ceiling when you're like you know in Oso situation when you've been a great soldier to the club when you're you've ascended to a level that no one expected you to have. But because of some arcane roster rule, you now find yourself in an, in a, in a total catch twenty two, uh, uh, you know, no win situation, right? What what does that say about our league? It says that you know you we're not a retirement league, but but you, this is as high as you can go if you're a North American player in our not retirement league because we still want the shiny shiny from Syria, we still want the Gareth Bales, we still want the Zlatan Abrahamovic's. So. You know, to me, that's why I hate this. I don't disagree with you. And I, 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 I do think that, you know, that calculus, but I think that calculus is horribly flawed and it has been horribly flawed. And it just outlines why this whole designated player thing, you know, isn't necessarily worth the weight of the paper it's printed on as the league grows, because it keep, we keep snapping back to this horrible situation where, it, where we're telling really good domestic players they're not the same as, you know, the potential of player X or player Y that we're willing to break the bank for, you know, and, and that's got to play with your head. If you're, if you're a domestic player in this league, yeah. and, and look, it's a two-tiered it, society. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to wrap up the thought, um, cause I didn't, it turned me to turn into a, a debate on, on the merits of designated player rules, but, um, I'm getting all the flack by the way, everybody. No, no, the, no, that's fair. I, I, I and I'm <laughs> sort of getting, uh, I'll get that too, I'm sure. But, um, I was wrapping up by saying this, like Jonathan Osorio and his worth to the club, I think is, is 
probably really hard to measure just in terms of what he brings to the community, to the locker room, uh, to, to, to sort of everybody in that sense. Is it worth a DP contract? I think we could have this debate forever, right? Forever, um, forever and ever, know, and ever. Right, forever and ever and ever. To me, I think he is the most important player on the team right now um, until at least Lorenzo Cindia gets onto the pitch and we see what he does. But I still think in, in a lot of ways, sort of that heartbeat, that sort of the je ne sais quoi of a team that you have to have in order to make it what it is really now lies with Jonathan Osorio. I know Michael Bradley, everybody says Michael Bradley is the heartbeat of the team that I really think for, for a lot of reasons is actually more Jonathan Osorio uh, than Michael Bradley, but I'll leave my argument there. Let's revisit this in a month. Let's revisit. When we see see (laughs) Bernadeschi and Insigne on the pitch, let's revisit this conversation. Fair enough. We'll we'll put a pin on it. Fair enough. Put a pin on it. Fair enough. Yeah, we'll uh, revisit that at that. And with that, we're going to close the Michael Singh notebook. Um, Jeff, did we get any burning questions to wrap up the show? From uh, uh, we did, we did. We got uh, two. Okay. Uh, one I... is go ahead. Sorry, Unless someone's asking about Bernadeschi, let me just interject quickly. Yeah. Um, Bernadeschi, what I'm hearing is the deal could be finalized as early as tomorrow, and hopefully by the end of this week, it gets announced that Bernadeschi is a Toronto FC player. We'll see. Timeline wise, how that plays out, but uh, everything's all good there. And yeah, so, way we so there you go to Tinder Bundy on Twitter who keeps asking me, When is this going to happen? Okay, tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, maybe Wednesday. maybe tomorrow. Uh, Joe Soccer said, Looks like Salcedo Tuarez is done for a year. Did that did that tweet go out while we were debating DP salaries for Jonathan Asari or not? Um, that's been rumored for a while. Uh, okay. I, I actually haven't been able to put my finger on exactly which club. I was told a little while ago, if Salcedo were to go back to Mexico, it would be with Tigres. Um, okay. He's been doing his infamous countdown, which I think. Yeah. He's at like 1.025 now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hints at the fact that there is a little bit of a snag um, with those negotiations. So perhaps he is looking at Juarez because I see that rumor a lot yeah, going yeah. around. So, uh, well, I guess we'll see how that that plays out. All right. So we've got, we'll do this one first. My burning question. What is our confidence level with Jesus being the guy in that number nine role? Great question. Good question. I'm, for now, I'm comfortable. Um, You know, uh, again, I, I don't always think your number nine necessarily has to be like the, the guy. Because I think you just signed the guy, and he's playing on the left wing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, from a from a player perspective, I think I think he does what you need him to do. I think he can hold the ball up really well. I think he connects with players really well. Um, yes, the goals have dried up a bit, but I mean, he was hitting stuff that you know early in the season that probably nine times out of ten weren't going to be goals. So he did True. get off to that kind of start, and I can understand where people are kind of like, well, where did they all go? Um, but I think that I think that gets better with again, as we've kind of mentioned before, better players around him um, as uh, as they get into the lineup. I agree. I agree. I think I think yeah, he's had a bit of a scoring drought, but look who we're about to surround him with on all sides. Let's give the man a chance. Yeah, that's a great point. I I agree. He's uh, his quality is there. I mean, you see him when he's dropping deeper. He can link yeah. up. Um, when you have Insigne, that's going to be slotted into the lineup. He's going to be looking to do a lot more of that. Uh, he's being asked to do a lot right now. 
I think the one thing that Bob Bradley wants to get a little bit more out of Jesus is to be a little bit more aggressive without the ball. Uh, yeah, when you're when you're I can see that. pressing and and chasing and Osorio said today, he told me today that TFC is a team that wants to be a little bit more aggressive now moving forward, and that's why Mark Anthony K's addition will help so much because he's a guy who loves yes, press. Sir. And I, yep. I would just love to see that little bit more of a bite out of Jesus's game and a little bit more of a nastiness, edginess side to him because I think that's the one part of his game that's slowly missing. But I'm excited to see him and Insigne link up because that's one of the reasons they went out and got Jesus is the way that he drifts to the left is what yep. Bob Bradley told me. Um, and he likes to drift out to his left. They like the possibility of those two linking up so much. So I am confident Amazing. that he's definitely going to help out, especially when he gets service from Bernadeschi and, and Insigne. Awesome. Jeff, we got one more there before we wrap yep. up. Yep. Uh, this is Chris, and his question is, is Kosey Thompson really an eight? His best attributes are passing slash connecting with the midfielders as well as turning and driving into midfield. He looks so awkward at wide crossing. Uh, Chris, we talked about this on the tunnel club yesterday. Um, yeah, I look, I, he's not a natural right back. <laughs> of course, he's going to look a little awkward out there. Um, you know, whether that is a, a situation where Bob Bradley is grooming him to, uh, to learn to become a right back. I'm not sure. Or if the idea is that eventually he becomes more of a midfielder and goes back into his more natural role, we'll see. We don't even know, as we've had this conversation earlier in this podcast, if he's even going to be around, right? He might be used yeah. as a trade chip at some point. He might. Um, he might. And, and that's just the reality of it right now. Um, so, yes, he's going to look awkward. Of course, he's going to look awkward. I think, you know, like as I think Michael and Jeff and I have said, this is the first time he's played the position in his life. Um, so, from that perspective, yeah, he's going to look a little janky out there at times. But um, <laughs> uh, that's not to say that he hasn't had moments of quality in that position as well. Yeah, there's and a if lot he's of an eight. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm just saying, if he if he's an eight, then you know, if we're losing Oso and we've already lost Preso, more so much the better. <laughs> we could we could use having an eight in the wing. You don't right? to start so, saying. I I don't you start that rumor. Rumor. Yeah. You started a rumor. Um, you didn't mean to start. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, in terms of, of Kosey, like, I, I honestly don't even know at this point what his best position is. Uh, we've seen him play higher up on the wing. We've seen him play in the middle. We've seen him play now a lot of right back. I would say he's coming along at right back. Uh, don't love his first touch. I think that gets into trouble a little bit at times. Um, his decision-making can be a little bit quicker. He, on the other side, he's very strong. And I think in battles and engaging, like he does a lot that probably goes unnoticed in terms of being just stable and, and being able to fight with a lot of the bigger players in MLS. So he does a good job in that aspect. Not a good crosser of the football. Yeah. Not a good crosser. No, that, um, yeah. Putting that, him on the that, flanks is a is mistake. Yikes. Yikes level mistake. A, yep. Yeah, that that's the one of the headaches that drives me crazy because he gets in, he gets himself in so many good positions because of his willingness and, and intelligence moving forward. Um, just the final ball is is not where it needs to be. And well, a lot of the young players are in that position right now where their final balls are just not that Jayden. final action in the final third is not quite yeah. there yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably one of the hardest parts to come by, right? Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. That's fair. Absolutely. All That's right. fair. Um, Chris Chris wants me to answer a question, but I don't know which one it was. So I'm not going to do that. Okay, and uh, Axis of Evil says, I can't believe there wasn't any pause talk. And my counter to that is we, we, we've 
We've talked it's, about yeah, cause to death, to death, man. <laughs> we talked about it to death. It's clear it wasn't working. Uh, I celebrate this move. I, I really do. Um, this is the anti-Josie, right? This is as brutal as brutal can be. Uh, and it hurts. It's like take. It's like ripping off a Band-Aid. But it's pretty clear it wasn't working. Uh, and I'm pleased that somebody made the decision to pull the trigger. Uh, because, you know... People complain about the 150K, but that's better than a free transfer, losing him on a free. Yeah. Uh, you have to understand that Inter Miami, are they're going to have to negotiate with him if they want to keep him past the end of this season. So this is basically they paid $150,000 to audition him. And they still got sanctions, remember. They still yeah. got sanctions and they got, from... And they got, and they got sanctions. And uh, uh, what was I going to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, great player. Thanks for the memories. That debut was one of the best nights I've ever had at BMO Field. The thing he did, that little spinorama in midfield in the 2019 MLS Cup was obscene and made us all squeal with delight. Um, but, you know, we, like I said, all the time, to- and all the pause talk, we, we, are, we put our faith in Bob Bradley. Bob Bradley made a decision. Uh, I support the decision. All right, fair enough. Mike, uh, you get the he's last gonna, word on this. He's going to tear it up in Miami. Yeah, I think I, I think he's perfectly fit for what they're trying to do in Miami right now, and that's I, we got to play him in a couple weeks. Or I know, but that team life. that team's a disaster, and yeah. and I don't even know if they train. Uh, so, they're in a playoff well, spot. We're not. Yeah, so they're not. Team. They're not that bad this year, man. Yeah, they're actually in a playoff spot. And so they haven't that, done. They've yeah. done it with peas. Yeah, exactly. Right. They have. They're doing it with Gonzalo Higuain sure. sitting on the bench. Uh, basically, yeah. they they've effectively. Uh, bench one of the most high profile DPs in the league. So there's yeah, that yeah. as well. I think he's gonna tear it up with Miami. Absolutely. We'll uh, Chris's question is what injury does Bernadeshi have right now? I'm gonna guess calf. That's that's my I'm gonna I guess well, let's not, guys let's not will that into the universe. Yeah he's got a sunburn. Absolutely he's got a very bad sunburn Chris. That's <laughs> that, that's his injury. Yeah. All yeah. right guys uh, we'll wrap up the show there. Um thank you everybody for participating your questions um and, and bailing me out on three burning questions and not tweeting that out uh during the week. So I appreciate you guys jumping in. Um mm-hmm. as always uh we will be back uh with Tunnel Club on uh, Thursday night. Oh, no, sorry, uh, Wednesday night because it is an away game. So we will have that about half an hour after final uh, full-time whistle with myself Terrific. and uh, Sean. And then, of course, uh, we will be back next Monday uh, with uh, Toronto Till I Die, hopefully uh, with six points in the bag and a Derby win. Um, From your mouth Montreal, to the soccer god's ears. Be, let's let's, let's do it. Maybe I might. Uh, right now, I'm not going to Montreal. By Friday, that might have changed. Then, uh, <laughs> well, Via might be on music. strike, so you may be you may be driving. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, exactly. And that's in somebody the back of somebody's flatbed or something like that. On the exactly, way exactly. Um, All right, but, boys, another great one. Absolutely. So, for Michael Singh, for Jesper V. Nesker, I'm Mike Newell. Thanks for uh, listening to another episode of Toronto Till I Die. We'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Cheers, guys. And wait, and wait. And baby, I'm TFC till I die.